So if you're just now joining us online, uh, welcome to Bethany, where we are leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ and grow in His image. We're glad you've chosen to worship with us this morning. Welcome. We have people in the room, and so uh, we're kind of doing a hybrid thing here, so I'm I'm not ignoring you. I just have other people I'm talking to also. Uh, So uh, this morning, we're going to start this series on Philippians, and I'm going to remind you, uh, there was a a line up earlier, if you want to go on the Seedbed Daily Text, if you go to seedbed.com, uh, slash daily text. Uh, you can sign up to receive this every morning coming to you by email. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a little ahead of where we are in the sermon series, but nonetheless, it'll help you kind of get some of this because uh, actually JD is going to spend more time going through all of this than what I can do in the sermon time. And as we move through this, uh, there's a verse I'm going to lift up to you and just uh, you're going to be hearing this verse over and over. This is one of the kind of central pieces of the book, uh, Philippians 3, 10 to 11. I want to know Christ Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of God. It is true and can be trusted. We're going to come back to that passage over and over as we move through the weeks uh, and build around that uh, as we move forward through this time. So as we begin this morning, let's be in prayer. Father, we ask you to come and be present with us this morning. Send your spirit to rest on us. It's a cool, gray morning. Uh, Give us your light and and warm our hearts and minds and hearts so that we are ready to receive what you would say to us. Uh, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So um, as uh, Cindy and I, uh, we were engaged right at the end of our senior year in college. And then there was about a year uh, that we both laid out and worked before uh, we got married and moved to Denver when I started my seminary. And during that time, she was living in San Antonio and I was living in Corpus. And on the weekends when uh, I worked uh, on weekends, my shift had me working on weekends, she would travel to Corpus. And on the weekends when I was off, I would travel to San Antonio to see her. And then in between on Wednesday nights, and for some of you will remember this, uh, we would have a long distance phone call. Now, I know these days with cell phones, that's a, a, a strange concept to some people. But this is when everything was on a landline, and when you made a long-distance call, you had to pay extra for that call. And so uh, this was a kind of an expensive thing, a uh, luxury for us to have, but we would have a phone call every week. And then during that year, uh, I wrote her a couple of times, but uh, Cindy wrote me pretty much every week uh, during that period of time and uh, sent me a little uh, a love letter. And it was just, uh, you know, it, it, despite the fact that I was going to talk to her on Wednesday and I was going to see her on the weekend, it was so nice, especially, you know, in South Texas, uh, when you work outdoors in the heat all day long, you know, you come home and you're sweaty and dirty and you're tired and you shower off and everything and cool down. It was so nice to have that something tangible of her, you know, to kind of remind me, oh, yeah, yeah, she loves me. You know, it was, it was a really nice, nice little gift. And uh, so, so, you know, she sent those to me uh, all through that year uh, and, and they were kind of constant reminders to me. Uh, you know, uh, of her love as I moved through that year. And it was, a, it was something that brought joy to my heart as we moved through that year. And, and speaking of which, I'm just going to tell you, I, I did a wedding yesterday uh, for a couple in the church who were supposed to get married at this time last year. Uh, 
Uh, and because of the pandemic, we delayed a, a, a year. And so Colt and Alana, uh, blessings on you. Um, but, um, but we delayed a year. They were very gracious in that. We had their wedding yesterday on the golf course over here at Balcones and uh, even sprinkled a little rain on us during the course of the wedding. And uh, so, uh, you know, they, they also had that long year of waiting that they had to endure. Uh, and as we went through that, you know, we wrote those letters back and forth and uh, talked back and forth. And, and that was a real gift of love. And, and, and yet... You know, we came into that relationship with some clear understandings um, because both of us had been in relationships before that that had gone uh, badly uh, in different kinds of ways. And so when we came together, we, we had some requirements of each other. You know, love is freely given, but relationships have requirements and structure to them. Uh, if you have a relationship of love and it has no requirements, uh, that's usually a dysfunctional kind of relationship. Uh, but we had boundaries and requirements, and, and one of those was that, you know, this is an exclusive relationship. You know, you know, this is me for you and you for me, and there ain't nobody else involved in this, right? I mean, that, we, we were both really clear about that uh, when we came together. We're still really clear about that in our marriage uh, these 40-something years later. And, and I'll tell you, you know, you know, Cindy watches all these murder mysteries and things. And I think, you know, if I ever go astray on that, you know, one day I'm just not going to be here. Uh, <laughs> No one will ever find the body. She knows how to do all that. She's watched too much. Uh, but, but, you know, it, we, we, there was this clarity about, you know, this is, this is what this relationship, this is a love relationship, but here's the boundaries and here's the requirements of it. And, uh, and so as we move through this letter where, where Paul's writing to the Philippians, uh, you're going to hear his love, but you're also going to hear, you know, the kind of the requirements and things that go around this relationship as we talk about it. Uh, Paul clearly has a, a, a very soft spot in his heart for the Philippians. Uh, of all the letters uh, in the New Testament, uh, this, is, this is the one that's really, I mean, his, his love for them just kind of overflows in this letter. Uh, you know, Paul sometimes has some, some hard things to say to some of the early Christian communities, but, but this letter is, is really a very rich lover, letter with lots of love being poured out upon this community as he goes through and, and writes to them. So he, he opens it with the, these words, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And, and first off, you know, hopefully you notice right off the bat that it's, it's not just Paul, uh, but it's Paul and Timothy that are writing to them. Now, you know, if I'd gotten one of those letters from Cindy and it said, uh, uh, Cindy and Sally, uh, I probably would have gone, what? What, 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 what? It would have been very confusing to me. Uh, but, but this is a little different because this, this letter is not an individual letter uh, written from one individual to another, but it's from one group uh, community of faith to another community of faith. It's a public letter. It's meant to be read publicly. And incidentally, when you're reading through these letters in the New Testament, they were meant to be read out loud. And so if, you, if you've ever read through it and thought, mm, nah, nah, just try reading it out loud sometime and see if that doesn't help you uh, hear it and retain it and, and understand it better because that's how they were intended to be received. Furthermore, you notice his, his, his signature is right at the beginning. Um, we usually sign our letters at the end. But, but back then, you know, this letter would have been on a, a scroll or a piece of fabric. It would have been rolled up. And so if you had to unroll the whole thing to find out who wrote it, you know, you could end up with a rather long piece of material. Uh, and so all the letters always began with the greeting. So as soon as you started to unroll it, you knew who was writing to you. So Paul and Timothy are sending this, and they're identifying themselves. We're, we're servants of Christ, and we are the ones who are writing to you. It's a community letter. It's intended to be received as a word from one community of faith, part of the community of faith, to another part of the community of faith. And then he says, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, to all God's holy people, uh, holy hagios, 
Uh, it means sacred, holy, being set apart by or for God. Uh, he's not writing to everybody in Philippi. He's, he's not even writing to really, you know, even those who, who may have come at one time or another to hear the preaching in Philippi. He's writing to God's holy people, God's people who are set apart for God. Uh, these, these are the folks that are all in. These are the so, folks that have sold out for Jesus. Uh, the, the, these aren't the, the half-hearted. Uh, these aren't the weak. These aren't the middling. These aren't the mediocre. Uh, you know, they, these are the people who are sold out for Jesus. They're all in. And that's who he's writing to in this community of faith. God's holy people set apart for God. And he writes to them in Philippi. So um, if you look at this map, and, and I'm, I apologize at home if it's a little hard to see, but as you look at that, if you see where the, the large letters uh, there dark for Greece are, and right above that you'll see Macedonia written, uh, that area, and between the two you'll see the city of Philippi indicated there. Uh, this is where Paul is, where the church is Paul is writing to. Uh, and, and so as he writes to them, you know, he, he's bringing this word to them. Now, you may remember on Paul's second journey, he, he's traveling in Asia Minor. Uh, and, and as he prepares to kind of turn the corner and go back through Asia Minor, uh, an angel of the Lord stops him. And, and in a dream, he has this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And so at the last minute, he makes this change. Uh, it's, it's a spur-of-the-moment kind of thing, and he decides to cross to Macedonia to the city of Philippi. Uh, so, you know, it, it's this God-led kind of moment that brings him to Philippi. And as he comes to Philippi and, and does that, he's going to plant in Philippi the first church on the European continent. This will be the first word of Christ on the European continents. So he comes to Philippi. Now, Philippi is named after uh, Philip II, who was the father of Alexander the, Gre uh, the Great. And, uh, and actually, Philip II is the one that named it Philippi. That's something they did back then. I guess if you're the emperor, you can do this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, but um, so he named it. Uh, and then uh, later on, it becomes, uh, you know, over time, it becomes part of the Roman Empire. When it really becomes well known, uh, I think it was 42 BC. And there's a major battle that takes place there between the Roman forces of the Roman Empire led by Marcus Antony, Antony and Octavius against the forces of the Roman Republic led by Brutus and Cassius. And the empire defeats the, the army of the Republic and thus guarantees that the Roman Empire will continue to be the Roman Empire for the foreseeable future. Uh, and it's a great victory. And, and so Philippi becomes an important kind of signpost in the empire. Uh, it's sometimes called the New Rome. Uh, it becomes an outpost of the empire and represents that this is, this is where the empire uh, asserted itself and, and established its power. And, and as New Rome, I mean, there's, there's quite a bit there. If you travel today, you can see the ruins, the, the amphitheater uh, there. You can see, I mean, it was quite large. Uh, the city center uh, you can travel into and see. Uh, this was a, a major hub of the Roman Empire. And this is where Paul is going to write to, the community of faith in this place. Now, when Paul comes to Philippi, what we were told in the Acts of the Apostles is when he arrives, uh, he actually goes and prays outside the city uh, with a group. He has to go outside the city walls to find a group to pray with. This tells us some really interesting things. Uh, in that day and age, it took 10 men to form a synagogue. So the fact that there was no synagogue in Philippi is significant. There was, they could not find 10 good Jewish men to form a synagogue in Philippi. 
Paul almost always went to the synagogues first when he came to a city. This is where he went to start speaking uh, so he could connect with his fellow Hebrews. But he could not do that in Philippi because it wasn't there. They weren't there. Uh, This is a very secular, very political, very Roman city, very much focused on the empire and the politics. And so when he goes there, he actually has to go outside the city gates and down along the riverside to find a group of people who are gathering there for prayer so that he can share the gospel with them. And that group, that small group, becomes the first Christian community led by a woman uh, in Philippi. Now, now, when, when Paul does that, you, you need to hear that, that Philippi is, is not just any city. Uh, this is the new Rome. Uh, This is a very political kind of place. Uh, This is very much the empire. It's very secular. It's kind of like Austin, (laughs) right? Or Washington, D.C., right? It's this very political kind of place. And this is where he's going to. This is where he's going to be writing to. These are the people he's talking to, the folks that live in that community. And it's important to remember that because they're, they're not living in the midst of a supportive kind of place. They're living in a place where to be set apart from God made you very clearly different from the people around you. Very clearly different, which might be something we as the people of God now need to hear. That they're to be set apart and look very different from the rest of the community. And as he writes to them, uh, he sends this first greeting, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I are so familiar with that kind of greeting that we, we just sometimes we hear it and we don't pay much attention to it. I want to spend a moment with that. Uh, grace, charis in the Greek, it, it, it's a gift. It's, it's a gift, a blessing that is given to you freely, uh, in this case through Jesus Christ. It's the gift of Christ offering himself up so that you receive forgiveness and you receive salvation. And this is a, this is a gift, charis, that's given to you, this grace that you're given that freely. And peace, irene, uh, it comes from being connected with God. The word in Greek, it's, it's kind of the Greek version of the Hebrew word shalom. Uh, it has to do with you know, being connected and in proper relationship with God in such a way that who you are is unified. Um, wholeness is the word we use nowadays. Back then they would talk about peace or peace of mind. But it, it, it's being brought together, being in a relation, proper relationship with God that brings you into a proper relationship with yourself and brings you wholeness of who you are, brings you integrity of who you are. And incidentally, Irene, if you, if you know somebody named Irene, that's where the name comes from. Um, but, but this is a, a greeting that, that he writes here. And in his day, charis, the word grace, was used more typically in Greek greetings, uh, letters in Greek that were written to one another. And peace, shalom or Irene, was more typically used in letters written among the Hebrews. So when he writes this letter, uh, and you see those brought together, uh, he, he's clearly making sure that he speaks to you, whether your background is Greek or Hebrew, whatever your background is. He wants you to understand that he's writing to you. But I want to, I mean, if he had stopped the letter there, it occurs to me that would have been enough, wouldn't it? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Wouldn't that be enough? Isn't that, isn't that why we, we enter into this journey with Christ? Uh, we want to receive this, this gift of God's love that's given to us freely and to know that we're forgiven, to know that we're saved. And, and we want to know this peace of God that passes all understanding, that, that overwhelms us and, and, and not only unites us with God, but brings wholeness to who we are, brings healing to who we are. 
And if that's all, that's all that Paul wished for us, wouldn't that not be enough? I mean, even just in that greeting, there is an amazing thing being said to us from Paul. You know, he's just pouring out all the richness of God upon us as he writes these words. And then he continues on and writes this letter to the Philippians where you just hear his love overflowing. I thank my God every time I remember you. Every time I remember you, I thank God for you. Okay, so let's have, a, let's have a moment of honesty. You think about the people in your life. Is there anybody in your life you think, you know, every time I think about this person, I say, oh, thank God. Really? Aren't there sometimes you think, man, they really bother me. I wish they'd go and leave me alone, right? And don't we, I, mean, I mean, I thank God every time I remember you. I mean, this is just effusive praise coming from Paul. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I never pray things like, oh, Lord, would you please just straighten them out? Oh, Lord, would you please just tell them to leave me alone? I mean, right? Do you hear? I mean, he, this over, it's just this tremendous outpouring of Paul's love. And remember, Paul's the one that can write some fairly strong words to some of the early Christian communities, right? You know, if they don't agree, you know, throw them out. That kind of, I mean, and here he is, all of you. I'm just praying with joy for all of you uh, and celebrating your partnership in the gospel with me from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I, he, he, I, I am absolutely confident, he tells them, that God who has begun working in you is going to keep working with you and, and is going to continue to perfect you until the day that Christ returns. I have every confidence in you. I mean, this is just an amazing kind of affirmation that Paul starts pouring out on them. And then he says, uh, well, maybe he says, we're going to try again. Here we go. No, let's try this. Here we go. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Because you see, at this point, he knows that there are some people who are saying just what I just said. Really? You thank God for all of us? Really? You, you pray for all of us? Really, Paul? You know, I mean, every, that's how you... I mean, there are people who are having doubt, and he says, it is right for me. He's, he's defending what he's just said. To feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Now, here's the interesting thing. Paul's writing this word from prison. Paul's writing this letter from prison. He is in chains. I mean... If you're in prison, are you going to be so filled with joy and thankfulness to be able to write like this? And there's something going on in Paul that, that gives him a different way of seeing the reality that he's living in. Whether I'm in chains or whether I'm out sharing the gospel. I mean, Paul has a vision of something bigger than his immediate circumstances. Something bigger, something greater than that. And so whether I'm in chains or defending and coming the gospel... All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, he doesn't say how I long for all of you with my affection, with the affection of Christ Jesus. And you remember the word he used earlier, partnership. We're in, we're in partnership in the gospel. This is what we're doing. I mean, this is not Paul just saying, I really love you guys. 
This is Paul saying, you know, we're, we're held together in Christ. The love of God given to us in Jesus Christ is given to me and it's given to you. And that's what binds us together. And we're held together in that. We're in partnership in this. And I think that's a word maybe we need to hear. You know, we hear lots of sports analogy kind of stuff, you know, in the church, you know, you know where it's a team sport and all that kind of thing. But I, I want to pull that apart even more than that. I want you to hear this word. We're in partnership together because we are, we are brought together in, in the love of God in Christ. And this is what binds us and this is what motivates us. This is what undergirds us. You know, we're, we're, we're living in an age where everything is defined in terms of, of niche or identity politics. And, and that's our political scene right now. Everything's identity politics, niche politics. You're this group or you're that group or you're that group or you're that group. And so the politics is, you know, well, we identify what these groups are. And then we go to that group and we say, we're going to do this for you if you'll vote for us. And what we end up doing is, is dividing up the, the country into all these little different segments as we attempt to garner as many votes as possible and sometimes if you listen carefully you'll hear they'll promise one group this and they'll promise another group this and those are contradictory promises but we'll say that because we want to get, we want your vote and so we get all divided up and we get pitted against one another because that's how we manage to get our votes and that's how we get ourselves reelected. and we've ended up being this scattered fragmented group of people instead of understanding ourselves as one nation and the really sad thing is we, we've let that come across into the church, haven't we? We do the same thing in the church. We've begun to understand ourselves as this group or that group or this group or that group and that group. And we pit ourselves against one another. And so instead of being in partnership with each other, we're in competition with one another. We're set against one another. I think that makes God's heart very sad that instead of coming together in the love of God it's more about me getting what I can get even if that comes at your expense and Paul is reminding them listen we're we're in partnership in this together you and me you Philippians who've sold out for Jesus and me here me and Timothy, we're sold out for Jesus. And I'm in the jail and, and you're over there, but we're in partnership. And there's things they're going to do, we're going to read about later on in this letter, where they're going to demonstrate that in very tangible ways. But, but you hear this, you know, my affection for you does. It's not because you're doing what I want, it's because you're doing what God has called you to do. We come together, not, 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 not scattered and fragmented and divided, but we come together in the love of Christ because that's what calls us together and nothing else. And, and having then affirmed him and said, you know, I, I have this tremendous love for you because of this, he then offers up a prayer over them. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now that phrase, so that, that's kind of the why thing, you know? Uh, so if you really, you know, pull it apart, you say, I'm going to pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Why? So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And you hear that, that I, the love he's doing is not just emotional stuff. 
I'm going to pray that you can be filled with God so that you can just feel all warm and fuzzy inside. That's not what he says, is it? So that you can be filled with more and more knowledge and depth of insight. Because remember, relationships have requirements. You know, love can be freely given, but relationships have requirements. When Cindy and I came together, we were pretty clear. We, 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 you know, we were attracted to each other and we spent some time together and all that. But then you start talking and you say, now listen, you know, there's some things that I, I'm, I am looking for if this is going to be a long-term relationship. At one point in time, I was talking with my daughter about that, and, and I said, you know, I, I had this kind of list, you know, uh, coming out of my experience, you know, the things that have been, you know, damaging and harmful in my past, and I knew what I did not want. And so we, we, we kind of worked through that list, and, and Ashley said, well, I did. Dad, that sounds kind of like you were shopping. And I said, well, yeah, sort of, kind of, you know, I mean, um, it was just that, that hard-learned experience of what doesn't work. And I was not going to just keep repeating those mistakes. And Cindy had the same list that I had. It's part of why 40-something years later we're still together. Because uh, we agree on that. So, so Paul here, he's, he's starting to lay this out. I'm, I'm going to pray that, that, you know, the more and more love of God, because you need this knowledge and you need this depth of insight. Because you live in Philippi. You know, you live in Philippi, and you're hear all kinds of stuff out there. This is a very Roman, this is a very secular city, and they're going to they're gonna worship the Roman Empire. They're going to have offering to all these various gods of, of Greek mythology as we talk about it. They're going to have all of this going on, and there's going to be all these different groups in there that come to Philippi. It's kind of a crossroads, so you're going to have all kinds of different cultures and different kind of religions coming together, and they're all going to be telling you their version of what is true. And how in the world are you going to sort that out? Does that sound familiar? I mean, you think about the craziness of the last year. Does that sound familiar? Different voices that are talking to us. Boy, this is what you need to believe, and this is what you have to think, and this is what you need to do. And somebody else looking at the same thing says, oh, no, 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 that's wrong. This is what you need to think, and this is what happened, and this is what you need to do. Oh, no, 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 that's wrong. This is what you need to think, and this is what you need to do. I, I challenge you. Pick one event, one event, and go to at least three major news sources. And see, if you don't hear that event reported very differently, sometimes it's even hard to recognize it's the same event. And not only be reported differently, it'll be interpreted differently, and what you need to do or how you should respond to that will be said differently. And so we live in this age where, where we're constantly kind of bombarded and pulled this way and pulled that way. Well, you need to think this, you need to think this, you need to believe this, you ought to do this. I mean, and, and how in the midst of that babble of voices... Do you be holy, set apart for God? Ah, your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight. This is what Paul is praying for them. And I, and I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm ready to claim that for me. Pray that for me too, Paul. For I have more knowledge and more depth of insight. Because... I want to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ so that I can stand in the presence of God. Because in the holy presence of God, unholiness is the only thing that's not welcome. I, I, I want my love to abound more and more in the knowledge of depth and insight. 
so that I can discern what, what is of God, what's best and, and pure, and, and so I can be blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. And, and I think that's a prayer that is still so very, very appropriate for all of us. How do we, how do we, how do we discern what is of God and isn't of God when so many voices are speaking to us? Unless we have tuned into the love of God that gives us deeper and deeper knowledge and deeper and deeper insight. So as we move through this letter, Paul's going to kind of pick that apart and, and talk a little more about what that looks like. Because he loves these people. And he knows they share a love of Christ. And he wants them to grow deeper and deeper in that faith. And he's just going to richly pour that out on them as he writes to them from prison to encourage them in their walk of faith in Philippi. As he writes from prison to encourage us in our walk of faith in Austin, Texas. Because his love is so deep for us. Because he knows the Father's love is so deep for us. So as we come and we move through this uh, over the next several weeks, I'm going to remind you that there's this kind of personal mission statement in the middle of all this that Paul's going to, all this kind of revolves around where Paul's going to talk about knowing Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And, and, and that, not only to know the power of his resurrection, we like that part, right? Yay! Uh, but also to participate in his sufferings. That's the part we don't like so much. So that, so that, so that we can become like him in his death and so that somehow we can also become like him in the resurrection. So I invite you just to hold this verse in your mind and in your memory as we move through the next couple of weeks because this is kind of the central why of the whole letter. But I also want this morning to close with, with Paul's prayer that he wrote to the Philippians and I want to pray it over you and all of you at home as well because we need that prayer just as much as our brothers and sisters in Philippi needed that prayer. So let's pray. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let the people say amen. Amen. amen.